Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I felt successful when I was a professional musician. Granted, I was 18 years old. I don't know if I want to be doing that when I'm 45, but it's what I love to do, and that shows. And if you and if you work hard enough at it, and you keep knocking on enough doors, I think good things will happen. Who knows? I'm one in a million. But you know, see all that. If I can do it, I'm gonna give Barry some drum lessons. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Glad to have you back. Hope you're hanging in there during these most challenging times. But I will say this, as difficult as it is and as horrible as the tragedies have been that have created the state of how the world is right now, It's amazing how difficult and horrific things that happen in our lives can spur change. And it's so unfortunate that it has to be that way. Maybe it doesn't have to be that way in the future, but the amount of things that are moving forward in a positive direction in the country and the world regarding Black Lives Matter is just truly extraordinary and it's great to see and again it's just too bad that there had to be so many tragedies to induce change and i know it's a long road nothing happens overnight and it may never fully be over but i think if we keep pushing forward in this agenda and not letting up, I think we're going to be in much better shape in the future. And if you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Twitter and Instagram or at BarryKatz.com, and I'll be glad to get back to you as soon as I can. And I'm really excited about part two of two with Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer, legendary Chad Smith incredible man and when I think about Chad 
and I think about the times I spent with him and I think about his career, one of the things that truly blows me away is longevity. Being in a situation where you start your career 40 years ago and you're a specialist, you do something that many people do, but you focus to be the best you can be. And each time you move forward to the next opportunity, like Chad did, always gave it his best shot and came in and delivered every time, which created long-lasting relationships. And it's almost like he was training for that big opportunity throughout his early years. And when that opportunity presented itself with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, he delivered in a big way. And 33 years later, or whatever it is, he's still a part of the group, still an equal partner, still a guy who helps write, create, and form the songs that make the band one of the greatest in the history of the world. Still a guy who treats people with respect, kindness, no drama. Just a real, real strong guy, but who knows how to navigate with other people. He's worked with some of the greatest artists in the world from all different backgrounds as diverse as from Johnny Cash to Lana Del Rey and a who's who of the greatest musical artists in between, including his bandmates, Anthony Kiedis and Flea, rock and roll hall of fame inductees with the band. But he's also a guy who's not afraid to go off on his own and do his own projects which have also become incredibly successful. Other bands, children's albums, hosting shows and interviewing musicians, and all around inspiring people in the music business along the way with his charitable efforts. So if you can figure out a way to be great at your craft in a way where you're a specialist and you can do the greatest work every time you get your opportunity. You seize the moment until that big opportunity presents itself that changes your life forever. And you get that gig because of that hard work you put in. And then you don't just stay in the same lane throughout all those years. You branch off and you create other things that really make an impact on the world and collaborations that make long lasting relationships that go the test of time. You'll always be in a position to win. And I can guarantee you, if you do that, you'll have the kind of career that Chad Smith has. 
Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Uh, undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. What I love about the Chili Peppers audition was, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, yep. they audition every drummer they're going to audition. They auditioned. And so at the time, right before you walked in, you were the last guy to audition. Right before that, presumably... They had their choice. They knew which guy out of all the people that they auditioned had the gig. You coming in, you took the gig away from somebody. Well, you know what? No, no one's ever put it like that before. But they were... At the first time, definitely, that I auditioned, and I auditioned twice. So to go back to your other question, I did get a call back. But they were trying everybody, friends of friends, and this, and and it was more word of mouth. It wasn't like in the fucking recycler back then. You know? <laughs> the recycler. <laughs> Come play the children. And so the guys, I'm sitting out in the at Hully Gully in Silver Lake, this shithole of a fucking rehearsal place. I remember, and I, I'd, I'd never been there, and I'm coming in with my drums, and there's a guy in a room just strumming one chord over and over in, like, one rehearsal room. And I'm, like, and I'm sitting there waiting, and I'm listening to them audition another guy, and it sounds good. I'm like, that guy's good. This sounds good. I was like, shit, okay. And he's leaving, and some... Someone had told Flea or the other guys as well that, oh, you gotta get, you gotta play with Chad. He eats drums for breakfast, <laughs> was what he was told. So the guy's leaving, and hey man, and the guys, it's kind of weird, you know, like one guy's walking out, one guy's walking in, whatever. And I'm bringing my shit, and Flea's like, hey, so is that your breakfast? <laughs> well, I'm like little guy green mohawk you know and at that time it was like what kind of tattoos did you have and i'm like this midwestern rock dude with a bandana on a metallica shirt and and they're looking at me like get this fucking guy out of here like, he belongs on sunset strip or something you know late 80s was like you know guns and roses and all that shit and that was like the aesthetic that they did not you know they were coming more from this sort of punk rock sort of aesthetic so you know later on we were looking at you like fucking get you know get this over with when you finished your audition and you walked out to your car or the bus or whatever it was my honda civic your honda civic did you know you had the gig even if they hadn't told you you had the gig i thought it went well i have to say not being like you know oh hey i'm great or anything i just and and you have to remember Barry, that i wasn't like a big chili peppers fan i had heard of them 
oh yeah the guys with the socks on their dicks and you know they have a record deal oh fuck great i'll try out for those guys and my friend who told me about it was a big chili pepper he's like, this perfect gig for you man these guys you know da 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 you're gonna love it they're fucking wild and it's like funk and rock and you know, oh, okay so i didn't it wasn't like oh the red hot chili pepper is some big band it was you know i wasn't like nervous in in that sort of way so i just went in and 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 just did my thing you know and we, and we just jammed there was got the, the call how long probably a couple weeks they were they were like flea like we really connected john was a guitar player he was brand new he was 18 he had been in the band a few months um, now he's like the youngest guy. He's the youngest. He's 50. He just turned 50. He's the youngster of the band. We're at 57. And he uh, he was he was into it. But Anthony was like, wasn't really, I think it was the look. And he wasn't really sure. You know, he was laughing his ass off. So he's over kind of in the corner laughing. And we're playing. And I'm like, I don't know what's so fucking funny. But like, you know, and we're just going for it. I'm yelling at him. Come on, motherfucker. And double timing and you know i think we played higher ground by stevie wonder and some other songs i think fire by Jimi hendrix what they had done that i'm like i know that one and we jammed on some songs and then we just improvised um but i i, I felt like it went well and and it was fun like the energy was like a good vibe and he's like yeah well we're trying a couple other guys out but we'll give you a call there was no thing but the best thing Barry, was the guy who was producing the album the guy mike michael beinhorn was in was at in the room too and i guess when i left he's like that's your guy wow and and he's like i don't know look at him and then i don't know if he knows this or that and he's like telling you that's your guy so I owe Michael by <laughs> went on to produce lots of great records and did our record, but yeah. So two weeks later they had me back, we played again. You wanna join? And they said, You gotta shave your head. I'm like, I'm fucking shaving my head. No. I'm like, no, no, fuck you. So I show up and they're like, oh, okay, man, we respect that. <laughs> Take our audience through the business perspective of it. I'm rich! Without <laughs> Somebody just died and left me all their money. Oh, sorry. That's our friend Pete. This house, this compound here. This is a compound. Anyway, I got the pool boy makes more than I do. This is unbelievable. Anyway, so. That's 30 years. I'm 30 years. 30 fucking years from that. I think we'll sign up this weirdo from the Midwest. So take our audience through from a business perspective without going through financial numbers <laughs> you're a drummer you're getting a gig with an existing band mm. with anthony who founded the band and flea and flea yep. who founded the band together yep. the guitarists throughout the years have come and gone and yep. three of them have been fired so you come in and normally when a band starts together it's an equal partnership a lot of times even if there is a lead singer because the singer-songwriter gets their royalties eventually, and more so than somebody who didn't write the song or whatever. But from a business perspective, when they're hiring you as a drummer and they're already there and they have an album cover with the socks coming off of them and they're, people do know them, how do you create that business relationship when you're in a Honda Civic, you don't have a lawyer, you don't have any protection, 
And how do you get to the point where you're financially protected to be able to live in Malibu in a place like this throughout the years without creating a rift between people saying, hey, listen, if you get more money, that means we get less money. Yeah. How do you navigate that throughout the years? Excellent question, Barry. The Red Hot Chili Peppers is, 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 a, is truly a band. There isn't, I think the difference maybe between our group and say a group like The Who where Pete Townsend writes all the music, the lyric, the melody, um, and he gets all of the publishing and writing, which does, a, that's a big part of income with, with, a, with an artist. Um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers from the very beginning have always been equal partnership. Every member that has come and gone has always been, we've always split everything equally. From so. writing songs, touring, merchandise, everything. There are some other bands that do that. U2 does it. Um, and... Uh, not as many as you would think. Often it's the songwriters. If, if there's, you know, a Lennon and McCartney, a Brad Jagger Richards, Charlie Watts is not making as much money as those guys. They're writing the songs. But there's, they come in with probably more finished songs. And, and that sort of argument of, argument, discussion of... Well, is it fair that the, the Who would never sound like the Who without John Entwistle and, and Keith Moon? They're so unique, and it would be nothing like... Like, how is how is their role in the band diminished in that way when financially? Um, but I think when everything is split equally, the longevity aspect of it is is has a better chance. And we don't have one guy in the band or two guys in the band that just write the songs here's the finished song just play the drums we the way that we create music we get in a room together there might be an idea but never very rarely a finished thing so every everybody song, contributes every song in over 30 years has been co-written by four people yes that's incredible yeah incredible yeah and as a drummer being a, a rhythmic not a melodic instrument it's it's it, you know that's that's not it's it's more rare than than you know than the norm but it's a band and and we do every, you know it's we you go on tour together and you have to do everything about being in a band is a lot of that everybody has to do and some people are better at other things but we've talked about it you know maybe this person maybe you know we should split it up differently but it's always ended up being you know what this is for the the better and so it doesn't get weird down the road like you're saying when like well i had that one album and this one so then it's like well which single should we pack in the day which single should we put well like with queen well i wrote this one and i want it because if you have a single that comes out that gets more attention and would you know possibly you would get more royalties from so it it does it it can sow seeds of dissension and that and that's not good for the overall thing. Got it. Six. So degrees. we're I'm lucky as fuck. Really, 
I mean, but but again, when everyone is treated equally, not only creatively but also in, in splitting everything up financially, then then everybody's input is wanted and warranted, and you feel like, yeah, I'm I'm part of this. Is what make I'm a quarter of why this is happening, and encouraged to be to have it. You wrote it. You're getting paid on what? I'll play the drum beat from that you gave me a demo on your drum machine. You know, it's no. I, I, we need what you do and what everyone does to make it sound like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and that's important. One, one two, two, three, cuatro, five, cinco, six. Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Uh oh. I want you to tell me what comes to your mind. It could be a word. It could be a sentence. It could be a short little story. It could be anything. Okay. All right. Barack Obama. Drummer. <laughs> he has one of my drumsticks. He does. We played a gig, and he was there, and I gave him one of my sticks. I got a picture of him, one of my sticks. And one time I was at, I was at the White House, and my he's shaking hands with people. My son was in front of me, and everyone's like, he's like how are you? How are you? Bad Barack Obama. And my son hugs him. And the secret heard of him like, oh shit. He's a little kid. He's like 10 or 11. But it was so and Barack was really cool. And he goes to him and he goes, and my son had a suit on. And he goes, well, that looks like a seersucker suit. It's springtime. It's a nice looking suit. And he walked away. And my son Cole looks up to me and goes, did he just call me a sucker? <laughs> yeah. Johnny Cash. Oh, my God. Well, that reminds me of my dad. And I also got to play with Johnny Cash. Uh, I had the great honor. Rick Rubin was producing his records, uh, American Recordings, 1994. And he had done it just solo, him and a guitar, his voice and a guitar. And Rick thought it would be good to try the songs with a band. So he called myself and Flea and Mike Campbell from Tom Petty. And typical Rick calls me one, one night at like six o'clock when I lived in Hollywood. Chad, what are you doing? And I'm having dinner. What are you doing? He didn't really call me on the phone very much. This is a long time ago before texting. And he goes, do you think you could come down to Ocean Way, which is like a mile away from my house, famous studio, and um, record tonight? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I, I think you're going to like it. He didn't tell me who it was. And I said, okay, cool. And he would call me from time to time. I've done other sessions for Rick. Could you be there, you know, seven, like in an hour? Yeah. So I go down to Ocean Way, and I go through the back. We'd recorded there before. And in Studio 2 is the first room as you go in. And I walk in, and there's nobody in the control room. I poke my head in, so I keep walking into the main live room nobody in the live room I think my tech was starting to set up my drums but I looked in the corner and in the corner they have a, a vocal booth that's isolation booth so that when singers sing the instrument the music doesn't leak into their vocal and I see this guy glasses down guitar music stand and I walk about 10 feet and I'm like, holy fuck, that's Johnny Cash. Because <laughs> I knew Rick had been working with him, right? And I'm like, I mean, 
I don't know. From then on, I probably I was like float. I have no. I go. So I. I keep walking. I knock on the door. He opens the door, and, he, and I swear to God, he goes, "Hi, I'm Johnny Cash." Like in the voice, like I know. <laughs> and I go, "Hi, Mr. Cash." Like, "Hi, Mr. Cash." I'm the drummer, and he goes, "Oh, great. Hey, um, I'm thinking of doing this Dolly Parton song. It's called um, Bird on a Wire. It's actually the Leonard Cohen song, but Bird on a Wire." And he immediately starts playing me the song. I'm standing in the booth with Johnny Cash right next to him and he's strumming and singing the song to me. Basically, it's the whole song. He's reading the... What do you think of that one? It sounds great. <laughs> um, Rick wants me to do this uh, from this Danzig boy, a song called 19. Plays me that song. I'm getting my own private fucking Johnny Cash. I just met the guy. And it was, it was amazing. And we did the session and he was... It was incredible. I mean, it was, he was just, and, and the cool thing, the coolest thing about him was like, immediately we were peers. We, he was like, you, you know, you're Rick's guy, you're a musician, okay, you know, it wasn't like I'm Johnny K, you know. It was amazing, and, and we did four or five songs, and I remember I, I called my dad the next day, and I, you know, he, he, he didn't really get the Chili Peppers. Like, well, I guess you're doing good. You know, like, Ten thousand people out there. I told him I played with Johnny Cash. He was like, "Wow, Denzel Washington." Oh, he's gonna play me in the Chili Pepper movie. I see him at the Laker games too. He's a, he's a, I mean, yeah, he's Denzel. Come on, Alicia Keys. Ooh, sweetheart. Very talented musician. Um, I had a little show called Landmarks Live where I got to interview her at the Apollo, and she was fantastic. I, I, I'm a big fan. You ever played the Apollo? No. I wish maybe someday to rub the stump and go play. Just as a side note, obviously any successful band can do anything they want. So you want to play the Apollo, you just call the Apollo, <laughs> you pay the $50,000 rent, you pay the 25000 for security or whatever. Or anybody, maybe. You set the date, and you play the Apollo. Right. We played some great venues, some iconic venues. You know, we, we played in front of the pyramids a couple of years wow. ago. Or a year ago. You know, I mean, it's not even a venue. It's like not even on a list to play. I think the Grateful Dead was the last band, but uh, Apollo's on the list. I would, I mean, James, James Brown. I mean, so many. I mean, come on, it's the Apollo. That would be. A, oh, I've been to concerts there. Saw Paul McCartney. Saw Bruce Springsteen. Um, but yeah, it's it's that's that's like that's that would be on the bucket. I'll keep going with somebody who I'm fascinated by. The trajectory, like you say, the story and the voice. And I love how people try to take people down who made it a different way than maybe technically we're supposed to make it. Mm. But Lana Del Rey. <laughs> right. Yeah, she's she's controversial in a little bit. I think Lana Del Rey is great. I, I like what she does. Um I think she's I think she's uh you know, it's hard to be have your own thing these days in in entertainment, especially in music as an artist. I think she's a great singer. 
uh, a great song interpreter. I, I, I had the opportunity to play on one of her songs on her last record. I think it's called like Fuck You, I Love You or something or something. Something that, that was on the Norman fucking Rockwell album. Yeah, a lot of fucks on that. I think it's <laughs> fuck it, I love you, or, or I love you, or fuck you, something. I don't know, but um, yeah, I would love to work with her guy. I think I think she's a, she's yeah she's Will Ferrell. <laughs> uh, I don't know who that is. Who, <laughs> who is that? Who's that guy? I wasn't very like recognized until that fucking Will Ferrell came along. I'll tell you my, my one Will Ferrell story. And I'm never going to talk about it again. <laughs> he was in uh, a movie called Ladies Man. Of course, Tim one Meadows. Of, one of those bad Saturday Night Live skit movies that they made. And he so he had been on the show. And I was getting it a little bit. You know, he kind of looked like that guy from Saturday Night Live. Really? Whatever. And so at the time I was dating this, this woman that worked for Paramount and they had a screening of the movie and the actors and some of the people were there at Paramount. And I see him there. And I'm like, I'm not going to go up to the guy. and like, hey, everybody. I'm like, it's the last thing I'm going to do. So anyway, so, you know, they have the food buffet. I go get the chicken skewers and he's getting the shrimp cocktail over here. And there's a guy between us. And so I'm loading up my plate, and he's doing his thing. And I get my plate, and as we both turn to leave, to walk away, the guy between us walks away, and we're both standing there looking at each other with our plates. And he looks at me, and he looks me up and down and goes, you're very handsome. <laughs> and walks away. <laughs> I was like... Motherfucker's funny. That's pretty funny. And I and later on we obviously had our thing. And I mentioned he goes, I don't remember. I don't remember anything about that. He goes, Yeah, people used to ask me once in a while. I'm like, Yeah, well, you're the big famous movie star. But somehow after we played the Super Bowl, uh, he was on some. He did some interview and somebody asked him about it and he made up the story that there is no Will Ferrell, only Chad Smith. So I had to, you know. And then there was that great segment. And then, then we had the drum Jimmy off. Fell on the drum off. Which right. Was one of the now, and after that, oh my God, for for a couple years straight, Barry, a fucking three days wouldn't go by. Somebody coming, man, that was so fucking. Hey, Will, if I go to an airport <laughs> or a sporting event, the Foo Fighters. I love the Foo Fighters. Um, Taylor Hawkins, the drummer, one of my best friends, godfather to my, my second child, does nothing, though, as a godfather. <laughs> no spiritual guidance, no fuck, nothing. I don't know what would happen if we would die and where, where back at spirituality. Now, he's great. And, and, and I've known Dave since, you know, we Nirvana days, and we, we toured a short tour with them, and um, we toured with them a lot in the late 90s and 2000. We played together and had a great time. And um, I love those guys. They're they're awesome. Sammy Hagar. <laughs> Sammy Hagar, you know, when I was growing up, there was a band called Montrose, which was a hard rock band in the early 70s that Sammy was his first band. He was a singer and I think he wrote his first songs with that band. A young Sammy Hagar and I love that album. Wore it out. 
still one of the, I think a great debut rock album for a band. And so I moved to I got a place in Cabo years ago when I was single, and I used to go down there and I, I, I you know, two-hour plane ride. You're on the beach. It's great. That's when I lived in Hollywood. And he had his Cabo Wabo club there, right? So this is probably 99, 2000, 2001. And so I was on a plane going down. I, I just got my house and I ran into Jerry Cantrell was on the plane from Allison Chains. Hey, Jerry, I knew Jerry. What are you doing? I'm going to play Sammy's birthday party down at the Cabo Wabo. I'd never been to the Cabo. I heard about it. You should come. Oh, all right. Yeah. So closed on my house. Nine, ten o'clock. I go down to where the Cabo. There's nothing really happening. I turn on the street, packed, down the block, loud music, screens, like Vegas all of a sudden, like in the middle of downtown Cabo. I'm like, what the fuck is this? I had a motorcycle on my motorcycle. I pull up. And people are like, hey, man, do it, Peppers. And probably Will Ferrell. You know? And I go to the front, and I go, um, you know, I hate to do, you know, like, hey, I'm a drummer from Chili Peppers. I saw Jerry. He told me to come down. Let me see your license. Okay. I give him my license. I'll be right back. I'm standing there. All these drunk people drinking tequila on the street or yelling and screaming. Guy comes up, Sammy wants to see you right now. Uh, okay. Take me up into the back part of Cabo Wabo there, Sammy. Hey, fucking chat, I fucking love you, man. They're fucking chili peppers. He was like, Sammy, that's how Sammy is. He, That's him. You want to jam? Let's do a shot. But oh, Tommy Lee's there. I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I'm, he's like, I go, okay. And he's like, what do you want to play? And I, and I was a David Lee Roth Van Halen era fan. I wasn't a Sammy Van Hagar or whatever people called it. I said, and I told him, I said, Sam, I got to tell you, like, I only know really like the old Van Halen stuff, you know, but I know the whole Montrose album. He goes, great, we'll do it. <laughs> and that's what we did. We did like a whole lot of love, ZZ Top and the whole Montrose album. And we hit it off. And he's, he's kind of the... He's, I always call him like the Jimmy Buffett of rock and roll. You, you, the lifestyle, the booze, the party, the on the beach. It's him though. That it's him. It is him. And we have fun. So we years go by, and I had a break from Peppers, and I said, let's. Let, we talked about you know through the years we were jammed together. Let's put a band together, and we made up Chicken Foot. Andrea Bocelli. Oh, who who basically yeah another landmarks film that I did, uh, and I and I got to hang with him and interview him. Um, that was a, this this isn't easy people don't know that like being this guy asking questions but like making it interesting and making the guests feel relaxed was well, under uh, a lot of pressure coming here because you're a great interviewer i'm not and certainly andy bocelli andre bocelli we were playing a, a show and I flew to his place in, he's outside of Tuscany, and as you drive in, you see billboards. It's basically like Bocelliville. It's like his vineyard and his restaurant, and <clears throat> and he has a, obviously a beautiful grounds, and he rides horses. He's a blind man riding horses. I rode horses with him. 
Um, Blindfolded? <laughs> here, you got to put the. You got to put this on, Chad. You'd be like me. No, he was very sweet, and luckily his wife was a big Chili Pepper fan, and so um, I went and 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 hung with him. Uh, we jammed together. Like he he's a great piano player. He's just a, a wonderful musician. Obviously, you know world-class singer but the interviewing like go back to the interviewing part it was very difficult because he wanted to speak in Italian he felt he could be more articulate with his answers in Italian so we're here with cameras and a camera behind him and so I had to ask him the questions in English and then the woman would translate and then he would answer me in Italian and I was supposed to move my eyebrows and smile and like I knew what he was saying then I would have it was a difficult you know, they obviously cut it up very well, did some voiceover stuff, but that was kind of tough. But he was great. And then we went to his restaurant and Oliver Stone showed up for lunch. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne. There's only one Prince of Darkness. The great Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, growing up, look, I'm wearing it right here. Look, come on. Black Sabbath. As a kid, Black Sabbath was... Maybe next to Led Zeppelin, maybe my favorite like rock band. And so I grew up on those records. And you know, there's Ozzy's Ozzy. Not only is he is he his again, his instrument is very unique. Nobody sounds like Ozzy. And you know, the Black Sabbath stuff speaks for itself. But 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 an incredible solo career, and then you know the reality show and all that shit. He's Ozzy. He's he's one of a kind. So recently, last year, um, I got to work with him because he was he was featured on a Post Malone song on Post's record. And the guy that wrote and produced that, my friend Andrew Watt, I work with quite a bit. And he says, I want you to come play drums. On, I'm doing a song with Post and Ozzy, and I'm like. Fuck, great. Ozzy's coming over to sing. What? Your house? Yeah. <laughs> Those are like a Johnny Cash. I'm there. And it was great. And Ozzy did not disappoint. He was like peeing in the planter in the backyard <laughs> and telling fucking fart jokes. He was fucking awesome. And he was oh, fucking, fucking postman. I don't know, fucking postman. Who the fuck is that? He didn't even know who Postman was. But his daughter, Kelly, brought him over. And unbeknownst to us, He'd had a fall last January when he had been really sick for like six months, hadn't wasn't bouncing back like the old bulletproof Aussie. And so he hadn't been out of the house really. He had a great time saying was awesome. And he left and Kelly was almost like in tears. She's like, Oh my god, I haven't seen my dad that happy in like six months. We're like, Really? He's like, Yes, he's been miserable, isn't it? And we're like, Well, it's cause he's doing what he loves to do, man. He's making music, he's being creative and and so Andrew and I were like, dude, let's fucking write some songs for Ozzy. You know, that would be great if he wants to do it. We got Duff from Guns N' Roses, who I'd played with. Duff McKagan. Duff McKagan. So me, Duff, and Andrew got in a room with no music written, nothing, no songs, no ideas yet. And the three of us wrote and recorded all the nine of the songs that are on the Ozzy album in four days. Wow. Four days. Out of thin air. Fucking, you got a riff? Yes. How about this? How about that? And thinking, what do we love about Ozzy? The breaks, like in War Pigs. Let's do this and let's do that. And it was just one of those 
records it just happened like it was great Nazi was awesome and it went well yeah Chris Rock the <laughs> Rock and Roll Hall, Hall of, of Fame? Fame induction oh I thought he did a good I thought Chris did a really good job we were very honored to have him he's a big fan of our group a big fan of music and sports and but he loves loves rock music he could talk about Van Halen like all day long I like Chris Van Halen you know, you, he's a he's that guy, and we've known him for a long time, and so we were, we were very happy that that, that he would uh, do that for us. And does you the know, Rock and those Hall the, of Fame mean as much to musicians as it does to baseball players and athletes, think, football players. I think so. It's a pretty small club, you know. Um, there's there's. How many people Seven, are in the Rock and Roll? 700 or something? I, I'm not sure. But they only induct, you know, five or six artists a year. And, it's, you know, who who gets in and who doesn't. It's a lot. And maybe like the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's not writers, but there's an East Coast Jan Winner and his New York cronies. And there was this whole thing recently that we talked about off air about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or some special that was had to do with some huge event where Aerosmith didn't invite the drummer, Joey Kramer, yeah. and it was just an awful situation. When you go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you've had two guitar players who've been in the group for significant amounts of time mm. through significant periods. How does the group decide who goes out of those two that have been there well at the time and i don't know if this has changed and this was 2014 i believe when we were inducted they told us the people from the hall of fame that their criteria was current members had to have least recorded oh no yeah current members original members and or you had to have re recorded at least two studio, two, I think it was two studio albums. That's who could get in. And it was still, they kind of still left it up to us. But your two guitarists filled both those criteria in different ways. One started, uh, one uh, well, did a lot of studio albums. I'll no, I'll tell we, we, st we stuck to it. We did. Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction, great guitar player, great musician, so happy to have him in our band, only recorded one album with us, One Hot Minute, 1995. Jack Sherman recorded one album, and he wasn't an original member, but he was at the, at the beginning of the Chili Peppers on the first album, he was. Hillel Slovak recorded two albums, but was an original member. Jack Irons, a drummer, recorded only one album, but was, was an original member. We had like eight people get in. But you had Eric Marshall, you had Jesse uh, Tobias. But Eric Marshall never recorded with us. Jesse Tobias was in the band for like a month. Navarro was there a year. You had Klinghoffer, who was there for... He did two records, but at the time, he was a current member and only done one record. So he's in, and he didn't. He was like, "I don't deserve to be in this Hall of Fame." He he didn't want to make a speech or anything. He was like, "When you jammed at the end, you know, as that traditional thing when people jam at the end, who was on stage? What was happening?" Um, we asked anybody who wanted to get up, get up, but I I, I think it was Slash, and um, the drummer from Green Day. It was a bunch of drum sets. 
Um, maybe Billy Joe from Green Day. I don't remember. At one point, George Clinton was there, the producer of the second Chili Peppers album, the great George Clinton of Parliament, Parliament Funkadelic. And him and his guitar player just bum rushed the stage. And I remember the his guitar player guy had a guitar like in a on his back, and he <laughs> fell. <laughs> Fucking ass was that? I think they cut that. I think they cut that bit out. It was so George, so like random. Just like who the fuck is this guy? But I mean, it's a nice thing to be able to to be, I think. Um, recognized for your body of work you know the grammys and all that shit is nice and i i do like that i think it's cool but that's one year the hall of fame yeah i think it does most people that i know that have been in it or get inducted it's pretty cool kid rock oh bobby fellow detroiter i didn't know him he's younger than me so i didn't know him when i was in detroit but um we met and had some mutual friends and guys in his band I knew. And then he lived on the next block over when he was married to Pam, Pamela Anderson. And then that didn't work out. And he would, from time to time, stay there. So we would socialize a little bit. And then I played on one of his records that Rick did. Um, so we kind of hung out, mostly during that period of time. But, you know, he's got some interesting... Um, points of views about things you know flea flea is the flea is a, one of the most incredible musicians that i know and creative people and he's the heart and soul of the chili peppers no no chili peppers without flea no no not to discount anthony or anybody else but he's the he's the he, he's the guy i think and inspiring person to be around his love of music and life and art and everything and people and i've seen him grow into his big heart through all these years and and um i love the guy and we have a very special relationship not only musically but everything else the relationship between the musical artist sex drugs and rock and roll how does it all come together? And when you become sober, does it take your edge off as a musician or can you find a way to still channel the greatness you had when you were living those crazy days? Well, I I have to say when I was a teenager and I like I was I was talking about before and the sports kind of went away and I really was taken with at first, I, I, I for sure, I just loved music purely for music. I wouldn't want to be a rock star or any famous or any of that stuff. I just loved music because I just music spoke to me. But as I got to be a teenager and and started to look at bands like Led Zeppelin and The Who and like these kind of wild, and I was a rebellious teenager, I thought that was like really cool. I see pictures of Jimmy Page from Zeppelin swigging whiskey backstage and girls and they were dangerous and mysterious. This is way before any internet and all this shit. It's like you had to like, and they were never on television or anything. It was really like, whoa, that's, I want that. And that was, and they were known for their drug, sex and rock and roll, but they were the biggest thing on the planet. 
And I thought that was fucking cool. So how do you make the transition? Well, I don't have like regrets of the time when I I did indulge in hedonistic activity. And you're young and you feel bulletproof and you think and and to a certain point you can stay out all night and do whatever and sleep for two hours and get up and then go play. I did that. I didn't do it a lot, but I I I want I wanted to live that life and, and, and I thought it was cool and Again, I don't have any re- regrets about it, as long as I wasn't hurting anybody else or not hurting myself. But at a certain point, I think you have to, and it's different for everybody. You have to kind of figure out, okay, this this really is not working for me anymore. It's whether professionally or personally, and for me, like my personal life was not great. I was doing things and. And it was in relationships and other stuff, and it, and I was just kind of numbing myself from that. My career was going great, and I was showing up for the gigs and playing good, and we're making records, and and everything's going great on that end. So I kind of the other side, I kind of like eh, it's not it's not that bad. So, I'm functioning so it, well. So it never bleeded over to a performance. Where, Maybe where once or twice, like I've been up yeah. for like three days in South America with a baseball size of cocaine, and I maybe didn't sleep, and I probably could have played a little better that day, but I never like, where's Chat? We can, you know, I wasn't the the guy you couldn't find or didn't show up. I showed up. And do you feel like you can be as productive and relevant and great and powerful? And it's a different journey. Do you feel yeah. like? So yeah. all the confidence in the world in that. Yes. I, do. I don't think you have to be the tortured drug addict <laughs> artist to make good material. I don't, you know, no. Anthony Kiedis. Anthony Kiedis. Again, and, and the founding member of the Chili Peppers, there would be, there would be, you know, there would be no Chili Peppers without Anthony Kiedis. He's, uh, he's, he is my brother. I love the guy. He's a unique individual. There's nobody like him. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have 30 plus years in a group with him. And as my friend, I've seen him grow a lot as a person. Um, he's a great dad. And and he's uh, an empathetic, caring, you know, funny, smart uh and he's lo- he's lovable, and that's a that's a man that I love, Anthony Kiedis. Awesome, Bruno Mars and the Super Bowl performance <laughs> of halftime. Um, out of the blue, we get a call. I forget. I don't know from our managers or somebody. Bruno Mars wants you to play the Super Bowl with him. Well, what does that mean? Well, like as a special guest, you know how they have people come on. Oh, okay. Bruno Mars, that guy's cool, you know. He, yeah, he does a cool thing, you know. Oh, he's a big fan. He wants to get it. okay. And then 
so we went back and forth. Is that a sellout? Do we, you know, what? How are we going to be presented in the thing? Are we just? Were we his backing band? Or we, there's a lot of questions going around at first. And it gets ironed out. Nah, you, you do your song, you know, a shortened version of it. But he wants, he would like you to give it away. We're cool with that. And um, and Bruno Mars, talented, great entertainer, awesome. Didn't know him, didn't know him personally, but we were like, yeah, Bruno Mars is cool. So we say yes to it. Then they tell us it's all pre-recorded. What? Yeah, it's all pre-recorded except for the vocals. Does every is everybody do that? Yeah, every band. I think the last person to play live was Prince's guitar. Was the last time that anything was like can't take any chances. It's a hundred million people. It's like a military operation. It's twelve minutes in. It's boom, boom, boom. You can't. If I what could, if the recording breaks down? <laughs> exactly. What if this mic doesn't work? What if the bass rig? You know, for whatever we can't take, they can't take chances. You, you know, that's why they do it. Like so, you can, really like Bruce Springs. Everybody, Tom Petty. Yep, all miming. We're like. And we were not fans of Miami on television shows. The instruments, but not the vocals. The vocals were live. They take a chance on that, on the one mic. You think they tell you that right when they offered you the game? Well, they, they kind of, it wasn't long after. Uh-huh. And then there was another round of, should we fucking do this? Is it fucking faking it? You know, blah, 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 blah. We went round and round about it. Talked to a lot of different people. What do you think? Rick Rubin, our managers amongst us. Finally, we're like, you know what? Okay. It's not our gig. We're the guests. Let's do it. We get to record it live. So it's not like we're playing to the record. We're actually playing, you know, at the time we're not playing, but it's something we played for this event. We wrapped our heads around and we said, okay, let's do it. And so we rehearsed for like weeks. More rehearsal for four minutes than I've ever done in my life for anything. And Bruno did the same thing and rehearsed, you know, there's, it's all very, this happens, this happens, this happens, shot angles, the whole thing. And so it was cold that week. It was in New York outside. I think we were going to be freezing. And the day of the, the day of the game was a terrible game. I remember it was like over like that. It was Denver and Seattle. Denver got blown out in like the first half. So the game was kind of shitty. So we get ready. So we play, and it went great. And Bruno Mars, go back to Bruno. Bruno was a complete professional. He was, like, on it. Um, very impressed. Very impressed with him. He's, like, he knows what he's doing. He's a great entertainer. He's a musical guy. But, like, it was his show. He directed and what's going to happen next and I think the lighting this and how about that and you know he was in all aspects of it I was very impressed a young guy and together his band was great they're all super cool we got on great had a great time two days later the wonderful interweb that it is somebody noticed that Flea's bass wasn't didn't have his plugged in like there wasn't a core we weren't going to pretend to be wireless but it's got to be plugged into the hole of the where yeah. the guitar is. has got to be a cord. You can fake. But he's yeah. like, why should I put a pretend wireless on my... I'm not playing. We're not, we're not pretending we're playing. I was doing fills 
I don't know if it was on camera or not, that I wasn't playing on the thing. I want people to know I'm standing up. It's like, I'm not really playing. But most people don't fucking know, you know? But Anthony's saying it, great job. And Bruno, two days later, somebody on the internet, please not plugged in. Chili peppers are miming. <gasps> so there was this big hubbub about how we were miming and that what a scam and what a lie when everybody's been doing that for the I'm sorry to burst your little Super Bowl bubble people <laughs> but guess what nobody's playing on the Super Bowl Bruno's doing a drum solo at the beginning of the fucking thing pre-recorded Bruno didn't get shit for any of his Shelly Peppers got shit for for miming incredible <laughs> but it was a great experience I'd do it again it was a fucking blast your proudest moment in show business show business this business we call show you know it might for my mother and my family because i gave my mother such a hard time but she was very supportive my parents were you know they would ground me for everything i spent a lot of time in my bedroom <laughs> that was a form of punishment you're grounded and then I would open up the window and shoot my BB gun at cars that went by. But 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 I did give my mom a really hard time. And then I, since we've, you know, made up and whatnot. But it might be the hall I think maybe the Hall of Fame with my family and my brothers so influential to me and that was kinda it was maybe even a bigger deal I felt for our friends and our family maybe even into us because we were always looking forward like you know you're getting awarded for something that you did which is great but like I feel like we still got a lot left you know but yeah that, it was a big certainly like my mother thought that was pretty cool your biggest disappointment in the business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level there was a time when the band was gonna probably break up when Dave Navarro left our group and some personal problems and shit going on with the band and I was thought and our manager quit and I was like All right, this, might, this might be the end of the road and it's, but I always thought like in the big picture it's just a band it's just like it's just a fucking rock it's not like there's bigger things in the universe than that like life will go on but you know having the when John Frusciante first came back in our group in 1997 after he had left in 92 in which I thought he would never want to rejoin or be part of of, of, of the Red Hot Chili Peppers again um, I mean but that was like that wasn't a disappointment <laughs> that was the opposite so I'm not answering your question that that was a a, a whole new just starting kind of from scratch what again. about when you got fired from your first job oh when we couldn't play the foxtrot yeah I, was, I just thought they were lame you know what's fascinating I don't play no fucking foxtrot nobody plays in three rock and roll one two three four but this is what's fascinating about fate okay so the band that you were with before the red hot chili peppers audition yeah if they hadn't broken up at the time that they did well, I left. Oh, you left? Yeah. I was in a band called Toby Red. I had a lot of T bands. Tilt. <laughs> My next band was Tyrant. 
and I and we were terrible. And then I was in Toby Red, and there was some disappointment with with that. We were we were Red, right? I got the Red thing. Maybe the name of your group was the Ted Hot Chili Peppers, and you changed it to Red. I don't know what happened. No, they were Red before me. So you quit? No, no. I just felt like in Detroit, like I'd been doing it for eight years and playing clubs, and we got a record deal, and our record came out, Toby Red, and then it kind of nothing happened and back down to playing the clubs again and I was again older guys was in the group and I looked around and I was like I don't want to be like married with a kid and making 180 bucks and playing the fucking side street lounge you know six nights a week again I'm like and I sort of felt like I'd exhausted all the musical possibilities I knew all the bands I wasn't like oh I really wish I was in that band or oh what about that and that's when I was like I think it's time to I gotta make a move so I I left I left the Toby Red <laughs> and moved to California. So, I, you know, I've been, Barry, I've been so fortunate. I haven't had like a, where I've been like fired or some thing that was really. We definitely don't have anything in common. <laughs> Tell our audience your greatest, holy shit, craziest story that your family knows that's not... So go back to Japan. First time we went to Japan in 1990. <clears throat> and so we we get there on a long trip and we're all kind of freaked out and the Japanese are, fans are very uh, exuberant and they show up at the hotels and they give you gifts and they're, they're super fans. And the wilder... They love Western stuff, and the wilder, the better. Like Kiss, and and you know, that really appeals to their because they're so kind of suppressed, and it's the way they rebel. And they love wild. The wilder, the better. So Chili Peppers a little bit wild in our own ways, and so but we had no no idea. So we, you know, people everywhere. Wow, it wasn't like the Beatles or anything, but they were like, shit, people are fucking really and they got shit signed this and we're like we get to the hotel and there's one kid outside it was late by the time we get there this little kid probably 14 years old glasses skinny kid and he had a a a painting of Hillel Slovak who's the guitar player that had passed away a couple years earlier crying handing it to Flea and Anthony hello I rub and they were like really taking whoa it was very sweet and felt heartfelt and and so they go up to the, their rooms and and this kid's name is Kenji and Kenji comes to me in very little English very little English me drummer you chato drummer yeah I'm a drummer I, I love drumming oh cool and he would always have this little book, like a translation book, you know. And and so, next morning, I said, okay, you know, I'm tired, go to bed. Next day, I get up early, jet lag, 6 a.m. He's down in the lobby, like sitting there at the breakfast table. And we were in like in Nagoya or somewhere. And, oh, Kenji, oh, Chado. And he gives me like a pencil and, you know, thank you, you know. And so I kind of befriended this kid. He seemed like a sweet kid. 
And so I asked him, I said, you know, Kenji, where, where I want to exercise, where, where, where can I go, you know? He goes, oh, come with me. And we go to this place with a pool and they give me their Japanese large Speedo to put on. I'm a big guy. We go swimming, we act, we hang out, we kind of, you know, nice kid. And so we go to some other gigs and he would travel. And I don't know to this day how he could afford, we, we weren't staying in like the Park Hyatt, but we were, you know, whatever. And he was in these rooms and sometimes we, he would travel with us and we really liked him. Nice kid. And so again, me, he kind of latched onto me a little bit and liked me and so, one night we were playing some other gig and he never, can you stay, can I stay with you on the room? Yeah, you can sleep on the floor, no problem. Time goes on, I meet this girl, Miki, cute, very cute, and we have a, a little relationship and Kenji wasn't too keen on it because she was taking some of my energy away from Kenji, right? So. Fast forward, the last night we're in Tokyo, we're in a tiny little hotel room, he's sitting on the bed, it's three in the morning, I've had a few, Miki's over here on the floor, and we're talking, and she, her English was a little bit better, but every once in a while, Kenji would sit there, and then he would yell at her, and Miki would go, ah, she's calling me a whore, and wants me to leave, and I'm like, no, 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 Kenji, it's okay, I like Mickey, Mickey's okay. No, don't yell at him. <laughs> More time goes by. <laughs> what? He's so mad at me. I'm like, Kenji, fucking cool it. She's my friend. You're acting like a fool. Finally, she goes, he wants to talk to you in private. I'm like, Okay, forget him to shut the fuck up. He's killing my buzz over here. Okay, Miki, will you step outside? I'll talk to Kenji. She leave. What's up, Kenji? She's sitting on the bed. A chado, a chado, and he goes through the book. I'm like, oh, fuck it Five minutes go by. He points to admire. You admire, admire, you admire. You might, you admire me. Oh, that, thank you, Kate. That's great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, no, 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 no. Goes back. Finally goes. Takes off his glasses. Chato, me fuck boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like. And then everything's coming back to me. I start laughing because I I was so fucking. I just didn't, couldn't put it together. And he gave me the CD player and the Speedos and the, on the bed and the floor and the jelly. <laughs> oh no, and I'm like, no, Kenji, I like girls. No, I'm so sorry. And he runs out, he's all fucking mad. He runs out of the room. I'm like, freak the fuck out. The <laughs> elevator doors open. There's Flea coming up from his net. Frio! What's going on, Kenji? Oh, he runs like, what's going on, Kenji? I go, dude, you're never going to fucking believe this. So I think that's the end of it. That's a long story. <laughs> that was fantastic. The girl came back? Mickey came back. I'm, Why don't you tell me? Uh, and so me and Mickey spend the night 
the next day we're leaving the next or there, no that night we're gonna leave and I and and uh, and so I'm like should we just go out and get something to eat it was like eight o'clock at night I think we had a late flight okay so the next day next night or that day night whatever five hours later and I we're getting into a, ta- a cab you know the white doily gloves and the thing and the taxi taxi opens up no one's around it's dark in the hotel all of a sudden from like over in the bushes Chado! Chado! I'm like Nikki sees that it's Kenji she dives into the fucking taxi I'm Kenji she comes running up to me Chado! You are a train too late. I stay with you. I said, no. He's grabbing my arm. I'm like, Kenji, no, no. I go, dude, no. Weird, no. I'm going out. Too late. No train. I said, Kenji, you cannot stay with me. No. Stands back. Chado, I die. (laughs) I'm like, fantastic. Kenji. And the story, and then, you know, so that was the end of that. He didn't die, but he, he had gone, he's, he's folklore, chili pepper. For, he, is, he is now a 40-year-old man, and he has still come to almost, probably almost every time we come to Japan, Mount Fuji Fest, he'll come to the gigs and he'll, he'll bring his boyfriend and like, and, and at one point he was a, a fucking gravestone engraver was his jaw, like he's a character. The best part, John comes back in the band and we're pulling up on the bullet train through Nagoya. Hadn't really talked about it. Maybe we'll see Kenji on this trip. It's been a while. We hadn't been there in like four years. Sure enough, we see this person in black coat going up and down, looking into the train. Like, fuck, I think that's Kenji. Comes on the train. I'm sitting here, a couple seats back. John's sitting here. He comes up, comes in the thing, looks right at me, gives me like, you know, again, like, you know, a, a fucking pencil or something, and then goes, sits next to John, he's got all John's solo albums and T-shirts, and he's like, I'm breaking up with you, and now you're going to be my <laughs> Unbelievable. Kenji, you're the best. We love Kenji. I just saw him last year. He comes, he cries. Last question. What advice do you have for the young guy in his bedroom in a Midwestern town? Don't get a small Japanese boy to... No. Trying <clears throat> to figure out a way to navigate through the business that you're in and to get to the next level and the steps you need to take to have the kind of career that you've had. Well, uh, you know, I've been asked this question before, believe it or not, Barry. Similar. Somebody stealing from me? You phrase it very nicely. my last nicely. question for 500 episodes. Very Jesus. fucking good. I got screwed. Good. I like the way you say it, I got it, screwed. No, no, no. Do you have any advice for the youngsters? Um, I think that, that you know, there's there, do it because if you love it. And that's, I kind of, for, for anything, whatever, if, you know, if it's comedy, if it's sports, if it's writing, if you're a plumber, whatever. If you find your passion... And if you're a young person and you can find your passion at a young age, like I did, I was so fortunate. Um, You know, do it for the love of it, especially when you're young. And there's a lot of pressure now in these days of fucking TV shows and I want to be famous and, you know, all that kind of shit. 
American idols and all that. I, I, I think you have to, there's no shortcuts. And, and, you know, I may sound like an old fuddy-duddy, but, like, you have to you have to put in the work. You can't have your beat and your one fill and I'm ready for the Staples Center. It's not how it works. And there's luck, there's opportunity, and there's hard work and love. And if you really love what you do, you, when you get knocked down, you're going to get back up because you just, you're doing it because you love it, not for be famous or for money or for whatever. And, you know, you get lucky and you play with your friends and, 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 and that's fun. And that's a bonding experience. And maybe you get with some guys and you write some songs, like-minded guys and come up with some music and, you know, you go, maybe you can make a recording, which now is, is so much easier than back then. It's kind of out of a record deal and, it's so expensive and um so there's there's ways to facilitate what what you love to do but i think authentically it has to come from a place of of love and and that just doesn't always come knocking on everybody's door you know i i think that that's a, a real a real um gift to, to, to if that happens to somebody and then you can become successful at what you love to do look at this shit you think chad in the basement playing along to led zeppelin records in detroit michigan would be in the rock and roll hall of fame with grammys and 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 tours and and malibu no fucking way and i would have been i would have been you know, sure. Did I want to be in Led Zeppelin? Yeah, but like I said, I felt successful when I was a when I was professional musician. Granted, I was 18 years old. I don't know if I want to be doing that when I'm 45, but it's what I love to do, and that shows. And if you and if you work hard enough at it, and you keep knocking on enough doors, I think good things will happen. Who knows? I'm one in a million. But you know, see all that. If I can do it. I'm going to give Barry some drum lessons. <laughs> Chad Smith, thank you so much, man. Barry, me fuckboy. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years, who's the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hitmen from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world, many of which you'll hear on the next three weeks of podcasts. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever.
Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and it involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session today at barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard. And because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this. And I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drop that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave... 
Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.